facility team. Um, again, man, I just want to reiterate that as well. I mean, look at this stage. Isn't this nice, man? Phenomenal job. The overflow room is, is just about done. We just got to put some shades up, really, and that's it, man. So we're just grateful for the many, many, many men and women who put in Saturday after Saturday. Some just came in one Saturday, but they knocked out like five, six, seven hours for demolition, cleaning, uh, using their skills. I mean, they kept me out of that back room because I'd probably mess it up. Um, <laughs> I just, I don't have the skill at all, man. So I'm just grateful for the men and women who use their talents to, to bless us. And again, we're increasing our seating because we want to increase the mission, all right? We're not about just trying to brag about how many people come to the brook. Honestly, that, that is the least of our concerns in and of itself. We want people to hear about Jesus. We want them to know that he changes lives. He's rocked us. He's, he's made a difference in us. And so that's why we want to increase our seating capacity so we increase our ability to make disciples and increase our sending capacity to start more churches. That's what we want to be about. So thank you again, my brothers and sisters who put that together. Today, indeed, is, is Palm Sunday. And in the church calendar, it represents the day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem riding a donkey. And the people of Jerusalem put down palm branches, saying, Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the son of David. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem, celebrated, and exits Jerusalem, carrying a cross a week later. And so today is Palm Sunday. And because it's a high day in our Christian calendar, we often see a lot of opposition on Palm Sunday. And I uh, just saw, heard the grieving news this morning that two churches in Egypt were bombed this morning. 36 of our brothers and sisters died today for worshiping Jesus on Palm Sunday. And so we are here in a building where we face no opposition, little to no opposition. Let's be good stewards and let's pray for our brothers and sisters. We're all just broken over the the chemical attack in Syria. We saw on the news this past week, uh, men, women, and children dying senselessly just there in the wrong place uh, because of an evil dictator. And um, we can say what we want politically across the board, but what we do know is that over six years in Syria, 300,000 people have died because of the civil war. And uh, and there are faithful brothers and sisters there who love Jesus, who are trying to make a difference. So we got to pray for them, man. They are in the lion's den right now. And so as I open God's word, man, I want to pray. Pray for these different things that are going on in our country and across the world. So would you bow with me, please? Oh, Father, I know I take for granted the safety and security that I could stand here with the microphone amplified without any fear of repercussion, Lord. And yet, there are friends of mine who are in Egypt as missionaries undercover today because they want to tell people about Jesus. There are churches who worshiped today unknowing that they would be bombed. And Lord, we grieve with our brothers and sisters. Father, I pray that their faith would not waver, that you would keep them strong in you. Lord, I'm reminded of the words of the martyrs in the book of Revelation when they say to Jesus, How long, O Lord? How long before you take vengeance upon those who took our lives? And Lord, we know that every day on this earth is a display of your grace and mercy. You're not dragging to come back because you're slow to fulfill your promises, but you're giving time for the rebellious ones to come to faith in Jesus. 
So Lord, between now and that day when Jesus comes back, I pray that we would be faithful, that the persecuted church globally would be faithful and courageous and bold, and that we in the West who worship in securities of these four walls would not grow numb to their needs, that we'd pray for them, that we'd cry out for them, that we'd financially support them. And yes, Lord, if you put in our hearts that we would go and join them overseas. Father, may we not be slow in this. Give us the courage. We pray for the church in Syria, Lord, that they would be courageous. Lord, as people run away, God, looking for answers, hiding in bunkers, may they find believers. May those who are Muslims who are questioning Islam run to believers and see that there is the answer in Jesus. Oh, Lord, do it, we pray. And Father, in our country, God, rock us, Lord. Awaken awaken us, God. Revive your church, Lord. Build your kingdom here, God. And do this mighty work, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Boy, the Christian faith is much easier to pretend when you're safe. But you know, every piece of gold that's found needs to be refined for its perfections to be noticed. And a lot of times in Christianity, the, the, the legitimacy of our faith is revealed under the fires of adversity. That's when we see the true substance of our faith. And just like gold, when you put it into fire, the, the impurities of the gold rise to the surface and the gold begins to shine brightly. Gold is, looks beautiful when it faces the heat. And the truth of the matter is, you know, that's, the, that's what the, the case is for people who are followers of Jesus, Christians. Your faith will be able to be magnified as you face the heat. But as you and I know, facing the heat is no fun task. Who, who prays for adversity here? God says, bring it. I want hardship. Make tomorrow worse than today, God. None of us do that. We love our comforts, and that's not all wrong. I mean, we, we, you know, there'll be something wrong. We're saying, yeah, I'm looking forward to being hurt. No, we, we want, we, we long for security, but we must know that security and safety and comfort is not what's always promised to us. And when you and I face adversity, whether it be from someone or from something within, we must understand that God is refining our faith for those of us who are children of God. And for others of us here today who don't know Jesus, who've never put their faith in him, know that when you face hardship, it's not because there's a God who doesn't care about you, but there's a God who's saying, please come to me. I, I got you in this hardship. But you need to raise your white flag and surrender to me. Recognize that you need me. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from the filth. Turn to me. So fires and heat and adversity have a purpose in all of our lives here. To draw us closer to Jesus or to refine our faith. The substance of your faith is revealed in the fires of adversity. We find ourselves in the book of Mark today, chapter 14. Man, it's been hard. We started the book of Mark in February 2016. And I've never preached through a book of the Bible this long. And I'm enjoying it and uh, looking at the calendar, realizing it's coming to a soon end here. And I've just been overjoyed by what God's been teaching me. And I hope he's been teaching you guys on what it means to be a disciple. 
That means a follower of Jesus. Not to play games with God, but to say, God, I'm going I'm to put my foot on the gas. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. And here in the book of Mark chapter 14, the stakes begin to get higher and higher and higher for Jesus and his followers. See, throughout Jesus' earthly life here, when he came to this earth, he faced hardship and adversity, opposition, but things would go away. He'd go to another town. The disciples would follow him. They'd learn different lessons. But Jesus kept telling them throughout his life, hey, this is going to culminate someday. And there's going to come a day where the religious leaders are going to arrest me and put me to death. And you will run away from me. You're going to abandon me. And that's what we saw last week. Peter's like, God, Jesus, I'll never leave you. And all the disciples are with him. We'll never leave you. Because the substance of their faith at that moment was built around a lot of comfort. But they're about to face the heat. And what we're going to see, what we saw last week and we're going to see this week, is that when their faith faced the heat, we saw that it had little substance. But that God redeems even their failure. You ever been in any of those places before? Where you failed when you faced the heat? Are you in the fire right now? We're going to learn some great lessons today. And you need to know that whether or not you failed in the past or are failing in the present, there's a God who can redeem it and give you life for the future, all right? And so this is what we're going to see here in the book of Mark, chapter 14. I'm going to read a lengthy passage here, um, mainly because I wanted to get it in front of us. There's stories we've heard, but sometimes we never heard it from the word itself. And so if you can, would you meet me in the book of Mark, chapter 14, and I'm going to read verses... 43 to the end of the chapter Mark chapter 14 and there are Bibles there in the pew in front of you and we say this every week and we mean it every time we say it if you don't own a Bible please take the one in front of you in that pew we want you to take it home it's our gift to you take it read it chew it up and see what God could do to transform your life and for the pew Bibles anyone got the page number there for us 851 Book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 51 and following. Would you mind standing with me for the reading of God's word? Just kind of to get that blood flowing just again for a moment before we sit down for the preaching of the word. That's what God says here in his word. And immediately, this is after Jesus was praying in a garden and his disciples were falling asleep instead of praying for him. Jesus was facing great angst, it says, and immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came one of the twelve and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to Jesus at once and said, Rabbi! And he kissed him. And they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to them, Have you come out against us as a robber? with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him. They all left him and fled. Verse 51, an odd passage, but I'll unpack it in a moment. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but... He left the linen cloth and ran away naked. He was a streaker. It's like, what's going on? We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 53, And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Can we read verse 54 together, please? 
And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. And even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Say that with me. Made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Amen. And the high priest tore his garment and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. Read this with me. Verse 68. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And a servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. Say denied it. And after a little while... The bystander again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Read this last part with me. And he broke down and wept. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. They came and arrested Jesus, bearing swords and clubs. Jesus had just told the disciples, be sure you're prayed up and alert because temptation is coming. And they did not pray. They fell asleep. And when they finally went to, to, with Jesus and the, the soldiers came to arrest him, they weren't prayed up, and in the midst of adversity, what did their faith do? It reacted. They drew a sword, thought they were going to have a sword fight. Jesus said, this is not what I'm about. I've been out in the open, everyday preaching. You could have arrested me then. I'm not trying to fight here. They arrested Jesus, and his disciples fled. They ran away. They ran away. You know, when we're facing adversity, you've got to draw your sword, but not, not that sword. Not the one in the sheath, but the word of God. Prayer. Getting down with God, saying, God, I need you to fortify my faith when hardships come or in the midst of my challenge so I feel that I don't run away. 
And the disciples ran away. And along with the disciples, a young man ran away who was wearing a linen cloth. They grabbed this guy. He shakes off his clothes. He's naked and runs away. And you're like, what? What was this about? And, and really, there's not a lot of answer. There, there's, one, there's one idea, and I just throw this out there for the sake of curiosity. Some people wonder if this is Mark himself adding himself into the story. Say, hey, this, is, this was me. I was there when this happened. Yeah. But like the 12, I ran away. Or maybe it was written for us to see that there is an anonymous person who ran away when it was hard. So as to put ourselves in his shoes, say, man, what do I do when Jesus is put to the test? When my faith is against the fire? The only disciple that didn't run away at that moment was the one that betrayed him. Indeed, Jesus was all alone at his arrest. And then we come to verse 53 where the chief priests, the scribes, and these elders are there. And we see in verse 54, Peter followed him at a distance. And as I was studying this passage this week, I couldn't get those words out of my mind. Peter followed Jesus at a distance. It's a far cry from what Jesus says, if anyone would come on to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. At a distance? It's not what Jesus had in mind. You see, Peter's faith had been tested. He ran away, but he knew it was wrong. He knew that was his Savior. He knew that was Jesus. He wanted to follow him, but he kept a safe distance from Jesus. He was far enough away to not face adversity, but close enough to be associated with. You know, as I was reading that, man, I just, I know Mark is a, is a, is a he's writing history, but he's also writing theology for us. And there are times in the, in the scriptures where we read this and we're like, there's more meant here. This is a word about discipleship, about following Jesus. When hardship comes, how are you following him? At a distance? Or are you right behind Jesus following him? Peter was at a distance and it was safe. It was safe. And a lot of what happens to our faith when it faces fires, we want to play it safe. In fact, that's a, that's a mark of a lot of what's taking place in our country. And I love our country. I love America, and I love American Christianity. God has used the church in these United States to do amazing work globally. I will not deny that for a moment. But when I look around, and when I look in the mirror, I notice in all of us a yearning for safety and for distance from the things that bring pressure. And I see Peter here following Jesus at a distance, plagued by a safe faith mentality. We, we do this, don't we? we? We compartmentalize our faith. We can be all in and one moment on a Sunday morning, perhaps, or on a Wednesday night or Thursday night or Tuesday night. But what about when we go to work? We're back at school in the classroom or at lunch in fifth period. You know, where's our faith then? Are we close on certain days and, and following at a distance in other days? Close enough to say, yes, I'm a Christian, but not close enough to face adversity because you're declaring Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a true question we've got to ask ourselves. You see, our faith gets closer when we take risks for Jesus. When you tell your friend about your faith in Jesus, not just say, oh, praise God, and use some, some you know, uh, Christianese, 
or cliche phrases that are still safe, but we say, no, I want to tell you what Jesus has done for me. Now, now there's risk. There's risk when at work you refuse to lie, when your employer wants you to lie, because your faith says, I shouldn't do that. You get closer when you break off relationships you shouldn't be in, that you know dishonored Jesus. You get closer when you know that God doesn't want you to be so tight-fisted but to give to his work or to give to his church globally or to advance his mission locally. You you see, our, our faith gets real when there's cost involved, when sacrifices need to be made. And Peter is here following at a distance. It reminds me of the story of, of, of Abraham in the, in the book of Genesis. And his, uh, his nephew Lot is living in the town of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said, I'm going to rain down fire on this city because of its wickedness. Take Lot and his family out of there. And as they're fleeing the city, Lot's wife looks back because she's longing for what was, and she turns into a pillar of salt like that. And a lot of times we want to follow at a safe distance, but really we're looking back on what we once had or once we, where we once lived and saying, you know, I, I, I want you, Jesus, but not really. And he's telling us, no, no, come to me. Follow me. You know, as we do some, some cultural studying, I, I, I see that there is a lot of fear in our, our society for commitment of getting up close and personal. This is why our cell phone plans are month to month nowadays. You notice that? They, they don't have to your contract because nobody wants that. That's too much of a commitment. And on the one hand, that's kind of good because then you can shop around when needed. But the truth of the matter is, societally speaking, a lot of us are afraid from commitment from our cell phones to our relationships. Our friendships, our romantic relationships. We're afraid of commitments. We're afraid of taking that next step. Maybe we're afraid of, of seeing adversity in the workplace and we say, like, I need a new job. No, no, you know, tie your bootstraps up, go forward. There's, there's a lot of fear of commitment, but that trickles down into our faith. We, we have this mindset where we want to explore our options, but really Jesus is like, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Will you follow me? Will you go all in? Peter didn't go all in at the moment. He was at a safe distance. Safe distance. And you know, as I think about it, we, we need to close that gap in our lives and take risks for Jesus. I used to run cross country in high school. I love running. And, uh, th- th- you know, there were times when my races, I remember my coach would tell me, Eric, the person you need to beat is the guy right in front of you in the race. I want you to put your eyes right on his back and close the gap between you. And when you pass him, you get the next person, you set your eyes on his back, and you close the gap. And the reason was, as a runner, when you're tired, you start looking around. You start looking like, who's, who's, who's catching up to me? You start hearing the crowd cheering. You, you start noticing your surroundings more because you've lost focus. And my coach is like, you got to keep your eyes straight and don't get distracted here because the distractions will slow you down. And the way we get out of a safe, distance kind of faith is we set our eyes on Jesus and don't look around at the distractions, the things that are going to pull you away, the different cultural ideas and worldviews that question so much. We say, Jesus, I got questions, but I'm following you. I don't have it all together, but I'm following you, and I want to close this gap, Jesus. I don't want to play it safe anymore. My brothers and sisters got bombed this morning, Jesus. 
I want to follow you. And it's in the ordinary stuff of life. Yes, you can go up and God may call you to be a missionary and go overseas. And if he does, praise him. But it's also the ordinary stuff of going to work each day and closing that gap. Being in your classroom with your classmates, closing that gap. This past Wednesday had a, or Tuesday, I had a great privilege of, of chaperoning a field trip at Steinmetz. The entire junior class went to the Museum of Science and Industry. And I was like, who thought of that idea? That's horrible. We took five buses of high school juniors. It was chaotic. We get to the museum. They're like, you're a chaperone. I'm like, yeah. Who are your students? I'm like, I don't know. All right, you have these nine students. I'm like, I don't know these students, but I got them. And the kids are looking at me like, mm-hmm. I got, I got very insecure at the moment, all right? So I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to chaperone these kids in this massive museum for the next two hours. They're going to follow me, all right? So I just tell them, hey, how are you guys doing? I start talking to them, and they're looking at me like, and they're like, oh, we're, we're the ESL class. We don't speak English. <laughs> well, my Spanish is horrible. So I was like, so I'm going to chaperone nine students, and we speak different languages for two hours here. So we go to the exhibit, and they're talking a little bit of English. I realize it's pretty broken, but it's far better than my Spanish. And so finally, we sit down for lunch, and they're just, they're just having a blast with me. You know, they're just laughing at me. And, but they, but they, were, they were nice kids, and I got to learn a lot about them. But at the end of the field trip, I'm thinking, like, this was a waste of a day. Really? <laughs> I'm walking around with kids, students who I just can't even talk with. And so, we, you know, we get in the bus on the way back home. And I sit next to a kid named Miguel, who was in my, in my group. And I just sit next to him. And he starts talking to me in his broken English. And I'm responding in my broken Spanish. And I got to hear from Miguel a little bit about his story. He'd been in the States for four years. His mom's in Guatemala. He misses her like crazy. He lives with his brother and two sisters. He dreams of going back to Guatemala. Not necessarily to live, but just to see his mom wild and I started telling he asked me have you ever traveled so you know actually I'm going to Liberia this June I'll tell you guys more about that in a few weeks but I'm going to Liberia West Africa in June he says aren't you scared I said no no I'm not I'm not scared because I know God will take care of me and then the spirit of God reminded me Eric you're going to keep it at a distance you're going to play it safe you can say God will take care of me nobody in our society except for someone who doesn't believe in God will deny that point but I need to tell Miguel why God would take care of me. And God just made it clear to me, Eric, you got to tell him. I said, you know, God loves me because he sent his son Jesus to die for me. I was all messed up in my sin, lost, and Jesus saved me. I put my faith in him. I believe that he forgives me and I'll have eternal life with him. And now I know that no matter where I go, what I do, he's going to be with me. So no, I'm not going to be afraid when I'm in Liberia. And that opened doors to share the gospel with Miguel. He says, I, I understand what you're saying. Very receptive. Corey we pulled up into the parking lot, and I just realized, man, God, you're showing me, you're teaching me that there's so many times I play it safe. My faith is at a distance. And yet he wants me to close the gap. Where are you at with that? What's your safety place? What's the distance that you've got between you and God right now. Yeah, your friends may know you, know Jesus, love him, but what difference is that making in your life? How comfortable are you? And here Peter is at a distance. 
I'm encouraged by our RCs getting out to help out with Beauty and the Beast, helping out with some refugees, and we'll tell you guys about that in the future. Little League Baseball, we got to close the gap, church. We can't be afraid. People are dying. They need to hear that Jesus saves. Because when we play it at a distance, we set ourselves up for failure. And this is what happens with Peter. I'm going to leapfrog verses, uh, up to verse 66 here. And where Peter three times is questioned by a servant girl. She says to him, while they're warming themselves in a fire, in verse 67, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. See, Peter was at a distance, but he got a little bit closer there. And he's at a fire. He's at a campfire in the middle of the night. It's probably 2, 3 in the morning at this point. And a servant girl. Now hear the irony there. Not only, she's a servant, which means she has no value in society. She's a girl, and in that society, women were looked down upon. And so she's a servant girl, and she questions Peter, and Peter has nothing to do but backtrack here. He's terribly afraid. And he says this. He says, I neither know nor understand what you mean. I I don't even know what you're talking about. What guy? The one right there on trial. Again, she says, this man is one of them, and others are starting to notice. You imagine Peter's blood starting to boil like, oh, snap, I'm found out here. And and he says, he, he denied it again. And then a third time, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now Peter's found out. And the reason is this. Galileans had a different accent from those who lived in Jerusalem. And they knew Jesus' disciples were Galileans. They're like, all right, you can say all you want, but I know you're from the south, you know? (laughs) And there Peter realizes, I'm caught up. But then with the most certain kind of statement he could make, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Man. And imagine Peter's ears the moment that rooster crowed a second time. Jesus' words echoing in his mind, before this day is up, Peter, you would deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. We could deny Jesus with our lips, and we could deny Jesus with our lives. And when we play it safe at a distance, we're walking in denial. We've got to close the gap. Identify what it is. Say, Jesus, I'm turning from that. I want to follow you. You know, it hit me today, or the other day, Jesus demands that a denial must happen. The question is, what kind of denial? Jesus, if you will follow me, you must deny who? Yourself. And if you choose to not follow Jesus, then you will what? Deny who? Him. So no matter what takes place today, you are in denial. Either denying yourself or denying Jesus. Peter found himself denying Jesus. And I pray and plead that with me you would journey in learning to deny yourself and placing your faith in Jesus and walking with him. Well, here Jesus is on trial. 
Peter has denied him. The substance of his faith was revealed and it lacked substance. He was in adversity. He was facing the heat and he turned from his redeemer. But his redeemer did not turn from him. Man. Jesus is on trial, an illegal trial. When are the courts open at 3 a.m.? It just doesn't happen. Unless you want to push a death sentence before Passover that weekend. And there are the religious leaders saying, we're going to call a special court in session. We're, we're going to get an accusation here, and we're going to get a judgment, and we're accepting no judgment but one, and that is death. They began to find false testimony, false witnesses. They're, they're, they couldn't even corroborate their evidence. They, they were, they were, they're uh, missing each other on every point. But they were looking for anything they can to get Jesus the death penalty. Jesus said he'd destroy his temple and raise it up in three days. Indeed, he said that referring to his body. They went on and on, and finally, they said to Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Jesus got nothing to say. He was silent because he didn't need to prove his innocence because that wasn't his goal. He was silent because he wasn't trying to get released. He was silent because he knew they were convinced of his guilt. They felt justified. But he was silent because of this. He had a mission he needed to complete to save deniers, doubters, the deceived. And so Jesus follows through as Isaiah 53, 7 says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He wasn't trying to defend himself. Well, then they ask him another question. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, in verse 61? And in our English translations, it doesn't really quite give us the right effect here. It says, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? But really, it's, it's, it's in a statement form saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? See, they're both questions, but the are you is not there in the Greek. It's saying, you are the Christ, the son of the blessed? If you remove that question mark, they're saying the very thing. You are the Christ, the son of the blessed. They're making a statement of fact that's true of who Jesus was. And at this moment, this moment, Jesus seizes the opportunity. And he says, I am the Christ, the son of the blessed one. I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Church, you got to understand what Jesus is doing here. He's quoting Daniel chapter 7, which speaks of God's great Messiah coming. This is what Daniel 7, it says here. I saw night visions. Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, which is God Almighty. And he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is saying, that is spoken of me. I am the Christ, the one who's coming to deliver God's people. And I'm going to receive an everlasting dominion. And they're thinking, we're about to kill you. Everlasting? You're about to die today. Jesus said, that's something different here. 
something different. His statement makes several affirmations. First of all, as I already stated, that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He's the one that God promised that would come and deliver God's people. And Jesus says, I'm going to deliver you from your greatest enemy, sin, death, and Satan. But he also points to his divinity, the fact that he is God, that he's the son of man, and he's going to be seated at the right hand. That's a place only God has. And then he says, I'm coming back. And when I come, I'm coming to the clouds. I'm going to bring judgment on the wicked. I'm going to save and redeem my people. And you know, throughout the book of Mark, Jesus had been doing miracles. And at the end of a miracle, he would tell them, Shh, don't tell anybody what I just did. My time hasn't yet come. I counted several different times. Mark 1.34, he would not permit the demon to speak. Mark 1.34, one, 144, that was 34, 144. He tells the, the man healed of leprosy, see that you say nothing to anyone. Mark 5.43, to Jairus' daughter when he raises her from the dead, tell no one of this. Mark 7.36, to the deaf man, he charged him to tell no one. And now Jesus is saying, all right, the secret is up. The secret's up. This is who I am. I'm the one that generations have been waiting for. The priests, they knew what he was saying. They knew what he was saying. Look at their response, verse 63. High priest tore his garments. What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. He's associating himself with God himself. They heard what Jesus was saying loud and clear. What is your decision? And they all condemned him, deserving death. They began to spit on our Savior, cover his face, and strike the God-man, saying to him, prophesy, and the guards received him with blows. This is our Jesus. Though his disciples ran away from him and fled him, denied him, he refused to deny his mission and followed through with it. Jesus came to save the Peters of this world. People like you and me. If you are not a follower of Jesus today, you are continuing to walk in your rebellion, in your sin pushing God away, denying Jesus. And God is calling you. I can offer you eternal life if you would turn away from your sins, turn away from the old you and turn to me. I'll give you a new you. I will declare you forgiven. I will adopt you as my daughter, my son. And you'll be part of my family and you will live for eternity with me as my child, forgiven that's what God wants for you today if you've never done that Jesus followed through on his mission to save you and others of us who know Jesus but maybe we've been walking at a distance following denying with our lives and Jesus is pleading with you today close the gap represent him the substance of our faith is revealed in adversity just as the substance of Jesus' mission was revealed in his he followed through and he's calling you to do the same. If you're in the midst of the fire today, don't turn from your God. You need him now more than ever. And if you're not in adversity, you will be. I guarantee it. But it's how we fight with our, through our faith, through prayer and in God's word, with our eyes on Jesus' back, closing that gap, saying, I'm going to follow you no matter what comes my way. If I lose a relationship, if I lose a job, if I get insulted, if I lose some friends, 
Jesus, I I want you above anything else because you're worth it. He followed through and he's calling you and I to do the same. Family, our faith is refined in the fire. Don't resent the flames. Praise God for them and I'm, I'm not trying to make light of your adversity. Some of you have hard diagnoses right now. You've got some strong relational problems. You're going through some hurt and pain and we're here for you. We love you. Your God is here for you and he loves you. But know he has not abandoned you. And even in this, he's refining you, calling you to trust him, to guide you through this. At the end of Peter's life, after Jesus rose from the dead, he finds Peter. And just as Peter denied Jesus three times, three times Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? Three times, Peter, you could hear the ache in his heart. Jesus, you know everything. You know that I love you. Okay, Peter, but do you love me? Jesus, you know that I love you. Okay, but do you love me? Peter grieved in his heart, the scripture tells us. In verse, in John 21, 17, he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus tells him this. Follow me. Love it. You may have forsaken Jesus and fallen on your face. She said, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. And just as he told Peter, he says, all right, come back and follow me. If you've gotten off course, today's your day to get back on. Eyes on his back, carrying your cross, following Jesus. This world needs Christians who stand firm on their faith and make a difference for God's kingdom. That's what we're about, church. That's what we're about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you glory that the Peters of this world, which we all are, are not beyond your redemption. And Jesus, this is you told Peter to feed your sheep. You told him to follow you. God, less than two months later, he preached the gospel and 3,000 people came to faith in him. And faith in you, Jesus. God, I pray that in the same way you would rise us up. Give us courage in our faith, oh Lord. Give us strength, God, to follow you no matter what the cost. And Father, for others who are here today who don't know Jesus, who've never put their faith in him, God, I pray and I plead that you would work in their hearts and bring genuine repentance and genuine faith. May they say enough is enough of trying to live life on their own. May they trust in you the resurrected Savior. So Lord, we pray this and we celebrate you saying, oh, praise your name. Oh, praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's rise to our feet. Let's rise to our feet. Prayer team, please come forward. We want to pray for you this morning. And I know that the Spirit of God is living and active, working among us here, church. Please, please, I want, you, I want you to hear me here. Our, our prayer team is here to pray for you, to pray with you. As God's Spirit brings conviction, let them work with you through that. Let them pray for you through that. As God brings courage and you're feeling a resolve, come to them saying, hey, I feel some resolve. Would you pray for me that I follow through? If you want to close that gap between you and Jesus because you've been following at a distance, 
and you don't know that first step to make, this prayer team is here to pray for you. Don't let this opportunity go. We don't take count. We're not, we're not looking around. We're all, we all need Jesus the same. But don't leave this place knowing you need him and not letting someone hold you and pray for you in the midst of that. We're too weak on our own. We learned it last week. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But in community, with our eyes on Jesus, we can excel. So as we sing here, sing with all your might, and should God stir your heart, come and let someone pray for you here in front or in the back. And let not this opportunity come. Maybe this altar is the place you're going to bow before the Lord, pray for him, pray before him. But in anything, let's respond in one way or another because he's worthy of it. I cast my mind